This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Friends, just let's bow our heads. Lord, we pray that this morning you'll open up our hearts and minds that we might come to truly understand the words that you've given to us through the Apostle Paul. In your precious name, amen. Yes. Well, I remember back when we were, shall we say, a bit younger missionaries, and we're going out to Cambodia for the very first time, and I know that some of you were here then, and you'll remember we were heading out with our little son, Joshua. We'd never been to Cambodia before. Cambodia was a very poor country dragging itself out of a long uh, civil war, and it was certainly wasn't the popular tourist destination that it has become. But being inexperienced, we were looking for practical advice on how to survive and thrive as new missionaries and as young parents in what appeared to be a difficult environment. So we'd do things like look up the Lonely Planet Guide, if you can remember those. Um, we'd read books written by people for new missionaries, and we wrote to missionaries on the field. We'd have questions of things like, what should we pack? How should we prepare ourselves for living in a new culture? Uh, how should we learn an Asian language? Well, looking back, we got a whole lot of different answers. Some were good, some were dreadful, and many left us very confused. But the most common response we got from people was this. Why are you taking that beautiful child to such a dreadful place? But no one was ever game to say, why are you taking that dreadful child to such a beautiful place? <laughs> um, we took lots of things that we uh, never used, and there were lots of things that um, we brought that we shouldn't have brought. I brought over a hundred kilograms of theological dictionaries and reference books, not knowing that this thing called the internet would come about that would render most of them obsolete. Um, we had to learn that wedding invitations were not optional and they weren't cheap to receive. And if you didn't go to the wedding, that person would never ever talk to you again, ever. Um, took me about 10 years to learn the language to the point where I could preach and teach and so that was something I didn't want to throw away quickly, which is maybe that's why we're going back. Um, and after almost two decades, we're still coming to grips with aspects of the culture and language and it's still changing. Well, what's all that got to do with the book of 1 Corinthians, a sermon series that you've begun here since April? See, Paul here, he's completing a long missionary letter and he's covered many different aspects of Christian life and faith and now he's doing what all missionaries seemingly do, he's giving lots of final instructions and offering heaps of advice. Well, are his instructions and advice any good? Well, let's look at it and let us be the judge at this point. I won't mention here everything that Paul says there. I've just pulled out a couple of things for us to chew on. And one of those is gifts and giving, and the other one is how we should greet one another. Now, the immediate need at hand when Paul writes this was the impoverished churches in Jerusalem. Romans chapter 15 verse 26 talks about this for Macedonia and 
Asia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Then in verse 2, here comes Paul's instruction. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Look at that on the first day of each week. This is at the beginning of the week when the family budget is made rather than at the end of the week when they might see what happens to be left over. So their giving's to be intentional rather than haphazard and it would require some level of self-discipline over indulgence because you're going to make the budget at the start of the week. And we can safely assume that it's probably a bit countercultural going against human nature, which is to spend whatever's there. Now, Leonie and I know that many of you have sacrificially given over these last couple of decades so that, for among other things, the, us painters can serve in Cambodia. Similarly, you give sacrificially, so Michael and the staff here are able to serve both the community here and places outside this parish. But in my experience, in my limited experience, there are two types of churches. There are those that rarely mention money. Then at some moment of desperation, one of the wardens will get up and say, please give or we'll have to let go of one of our staff. And there's those churches that always talk about money and send the bags around several times, uh, often show the failing church budget and in the, in the bulletin each week. Well, you can work out what sort of church you are, I don't know. Um, but we have been the beneficiaries of your regular giving. And we know that each month a sum of money comes from CMS into our bank account so that we can continue serving in the long term in Cambodia. Yet many of our friends have had to return home because their money gave out, the giving dropped below 70% of the budget and they were deemed in danger of undernourishment. Were these people more faithful than us for trusting in a less reliable means of, of provision? Or were they less faithful for failing to receive? Well, I can't answer those questions, but we very much appreciate the giving that you've made that keeps us both fed and sane. Well, Paul goes on, store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Those words, as he may prosper. I think Paul is talking about those people who have a surplus. So he's not talking about the poor, but he's talking about those who have enough to live on and more. These households were to store up money. Well, in those days, there's no public banks. So people would have two choices. They could either hide their money at home or they could actually, there was a place in the local temple where they could put it, but presumably the Christians aren't going to the temple, so they're to store the money at home. Well, until most recently, Cambodians, where we are, don't trust banks. This is the carryover from the Khmer Rouge days when all the savings and cash was dissolved overnight. So most Cambodians either wear their money in the form of gold around their necks or they hide it in their houses, invariably under a loose tile in the concrete floor. Um, and yes, often the money's stolen or generally placing suspicion on someone in the house 
perhaps a bad son needing to resolve a gambling debt or pay for a drug habit. But anyway, what Paul does not want here is a hasty last-minute collection made under the pressure of the moment. Rather, he wants the giving to be carefully thought out and planned. When you get down to the, the next bit here is when in verses 3 and 4, and when I arrive, I will send those who you are credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Well, from this warning ahead, they should be planning and organising. So we can presume that this gift is going to be a substantial amount. Paul sees the importance of such a gift being properly administered. He's not just going to carry it in his pocket. He not only needs to be righteous, but he needs to be seen to be righteous. So he wants the gift to be carried by others who, have, who are shown or renowned for their integrity. Well, again here, I know accountability can be a, a big problem in many places. It's a big problem in the Cambodian church. Where we are, it's a very hierarchical society. And leaders of churches are at the top of the hierarchy within the church. And in this culture, people normally do not question the leader, but they assume that the leader is acting honestly. To question someone is to show a complete lack of trust and bring shame upon the leader and often will result in a permanent rift in the church or the question of being ejected. Therefore, in such a system, the leaders are accountable to no one. Well, lots of Western Christians visit Cambodian churches and these visitors are warmly welcomed. Visitors often want to reciprocate the friendship shown to them with gifts of more than a nominal value. Maybe they're feeling a bit guilty that they're having their, uh, their holiday in a place full of so much poverty. And this is especially true of us when we go on holidays, us Australians, and our budget might run into hundreds of dollars a day in a place where the wages might be $100 a month. A little bit of foreign money seems to go a long way. But the problem is when there are so many visitors and so many gifts there, they steal the hearts of the local leaders. These leaders become more interested in foreign visitors and making them happy than looking after the churches entrusted in their care. In Phnom Penh, in churches there, most weeks some new esteemed guest arrives. The guests are brought up the front, invited to preach when they're completely unqualified to do so, and that's very evident when they open their mouths. Generally they speak in English with a struggling translator. They're shown around the city by the pastor who bends over backwards for them and then adds them to the long list of foreign sponsors. So the net result is that many of these Cambodian church leaders have warm hearts for foreign sponsors, but they have little heart for the gospel. So the leaders themselves have become well and truly corrupted, and the church members want to know, how has this church pastor been blessed? How come his children go to university when everybody else sends their children to be labourers in factories? And the numbers show up in the national church. We have a church that grew at a phenomenal rate through the 1990s, from a handful of Christians when it opened up in 1991 through to about 200,000 at the turn of the millennium. But now, 20 years later, 
and the numbers are the same. And I believe the reason for this lack of growth is a lack of motivation for evangelization. There's one church we know in Phnom Penh and it's got 30 members. It's mostly the same families that were in that church 25 years ago. This church is well-sponsored. Its members have received millions of dollars in sponsorship over that period. But when other Cambodians come to the church, they're shut out. Why welcome others if, it's only, if they're only going to dilute the sponsorship? So, friends, what we have here is a national church that's truly lukewarm. And we as foreigners need to be careful that we don't lead others astray from the gospel. So I'd say, like Paul, let us all be accountable with our finances. When we are receiving, let us be accountable to others. And when we are giving, let us seek accountability so the church's witness is not dragged through the mire of financial temptation. Well, finally then, Paul says in 16.20, all the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, when I read this instruction, the phrase holy kiss quickly comes to mind, doesn't it? What's a holy kiss? At least some of you at this moment are hoping that I'm not going to instruct you to go around warmly kissing one another um, before you melt into the carpet in embarrassment. My wife has an Uncle George, and Uncle George, I'm told, used to like greeting men by kissing them on both cheeks. Well, fortunately, when I came on the scene, the habit stopped. Um, maybe not shaving helped. Anyway, I want to instead draw our attention to the reciprocal pronoun that's tra translated as one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Note it does not say kiss the ring of the bishop or bow to the pastor or grovel before the church wardens. It says kiss one another. In other words, we're to greet our Christian brothers and sisters as equals. Cambodia has a very stratified culture. Everyone seems to be comparing themselves with one another. In this society, kings and monks are superior to everyone else, older, superior to younger, richer, superior to poorer, fatter, superior to thinner, although this is changing, lighter skin associated with working in offices is superior to a darker skin associated with working in a rice field, formally educated, superior to manual workers. And so in this comparison, missionaries actually, we do fairly well. There's the traditional greeting. Put the hands together like this, the somper, and if you're greeting someone superior, you put your hands up higher like that. So if you're greeting the king, you greet them like that. Um, but while rank may have its privileges, at other times rank can work against us. One female friend of ours was an honoured guest at a dinner party in a rural village. She was shown to the best room, asked to sit down. They brought her food, one dish at a time. And she could hear down below a large crowd laughing, having a good time in the area under the house. Later on, she discovered the reason for her esteemed isolation. The family had killed a dog and they were feasting on its flesh, but they didn't want the missionary to know what they'd done, thinking she wouldn't approve. So they gave her the best room in the house. Well, friends, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. That's how he finishes. The Greek word maranatha. I think for many of us living in Sydney, we're tempted to live wholly in the present without a care for the world to come. For many of us, life is good. 
We've experienced plenty of it here in these last few years. We've been here. But for others, a new life in Christ on the new earth just can't come soon enough. So friends, the question we're often asked is, why go to Cambodia? Why do you leave a life of luxury and safety to come here? This is from people from Cambodians asking us. It's as if there's something better we could be doing with our lives. But for the time being, for as long as we're here, there is nowhere else that Leonie and I would rather be than serving there. Each of us only have one life in this world, so we need to ask ourselves, how do I spend the rest of my life before the Lord comes? Well, as Paul finishes this letter to the Corinthians, he says it like this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's let's pray. Lord, we pray now as we think of these words, we pray that you will guide and guard our gifts and our giving so that we might use them to lift others up and not drag them down. Lord, we pray that as we greet one another, that we might be able to greet one another as equals as our Christian brothers and sisters, as people who are loved by you, saved by you. Lord, give us loving hearts in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.